So before Brandon preaches on Sunday, he normally has someone come up and read the scripture from that passage for the week. And so the scripture he's teaching on today was our memory verse for the week. And so we decided to have Lincoln and Micah come share the scripture with you. They memorized it this week. It's just one verse. Are you guys ready? Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow within them. John 7, 38. Woo! We built this amazing amazing set. We had to live in it for another Sunday, you know? I can't wait to let all that hard work go to waste. Might as well preach from the dock. And as we think about this passage, it, it blew my mind because there's so much. Every time Jesus speaks, there's so much. And, and it was one of those things where I was like, man, these students get to hear about God's love and his power and his purpose, and they don't understand. And, and we, as adults, can't even understand the depths of God's love and, and the plan and how powerful and how purposeful he is with everything. And as we see this idea of living water, I'll never forget when I was in middle school, I got an opportunity to do this week-long golf camp, and, and it was this uh, instructional thing for a week, teaching you all these skills, and at the end, you had this tournament, and I was in the middle of it, and I never felt what I felt in the middle of that golf tournament. started to feel thirsty, dizzy, lightheaded, tired all of a sudden. I woke up so pumped, the whole week of prep, and now here it is, starting to fall apart before my eyes. My mouth was dry, lips were cracking, my eyes were blurry and, and sore. And you know what happened. It was dehydration. I had no clue as a middle schooler. I was like, what's going on? I need more sugar. Why didn't I get any fruit roll-ups? My mom left me stranded out here. I had a couple more holes to go until I get to the clubhouse and I'll get some candy or some sugar and pump me up again. And as I got to the clubhouse and threw myself on the counter, I'm like, I need water, Gatorade, something. And I sat down and ended up like laying down and just about passing out of exhaustion and trying to drink as much as I could to, to get some strength back. And then a guy walks up to me. He's like, hey, you ready to go for another 18 holes? The instructor said we can go. Just you, me, and a couple other guys. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready, but my body's not. I don't know what happened. Have you been there before? Have you been so exhausted and thirsty? And the timing could not have been more perfect for me to start getting dehydrated than right when I turned at that last hole heading towards the clubhouse where there was the source of water, there was resources there to help nourish me and I needed water so desperately. And I had no clue when I started the day that I should have packed a water bottle. I had no idea. I mean, I was in a Tascadero. It doesn't get over 100, much more than half the year. Like who, I, you're in middle school. Like why would you need water? It's like 100 degrees, you're playing golf. It's not like I'm running an Ironman or anything. But I was so desperate to figure out what was wrong and solve it. And, and I was literally, as I learned now, I was dying. When you're dehydrated, your body is shutting down and it's conserving what little it has left to preserve what life is still there. We think we're good. I thought I was good. I got my golf clubs, I'm good. What else do I need? Well, water, for one. We think we're good until we need a drink, until we're thirsty. You can survive 43 to 73 days without food, but only three days without water. And only a few hours is all it takes in a car for a kid or an animal to dehydrate and start to die. As we see today, Jesus makes this invitation to come and get a drink. And it's not, as we read it, 
And maybe we hear just like a, a server Jesus when you walk into a restaurant that's busy and he's like, hey, grab a seat. What can I get you to drink? That's kind of how we hear it, right? He's like, hey, you guys want to drink? Okay, cool. We'll get you started. I'll have the drink menu out in a minute. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But that's how in the Western culture we can read it. The drama is definitely way more escalated at this moment. And at just the right moment, Christ speaks. It was the final day of this huge celebration, the celebration of celebrations, the feast of, of representing God tabernacling, God coming and saving his people and providing for them in the desert. And it was the day the priests would go through this huge parade and they'd sing these songs and they'd have these multiple branches put together, they'd wave and the trumpets would go. And, and this time the priests would go, after going through the water gate, they would circle the altar seven times. And on the sixth time, another priest would join him and they'd go up the ramp. And just about the time, this huge ceremony of praise and worship would kind of quiet down out of reverence for what God had done, and they focused on the water pitcher, and as it was about to be poured, it's silent. And it's this height of joy and celebration and worship to God for what he did, and it was in that hush, in that moment, that Jesus acted. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stands up and shouts out, in that silent moment, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me will have streams of living water flowing from them. It's not at all the server saying, hey, can I get you started with the water or tea? It's him saying, stop looking at the pitcher. Stop remembering what God did and start looking that God's here now. I'm going to do something new and fresh and I'm going to give you living water that's not going to end. Yes, I did that then, but I'm doing a new thing now. Look at me. Come to me. You're thirsty. Jesus was in full control of the moment, and he chose just that specific psychological, physical calm to disrupt what they had made, a religious thing that they were worshiping, instead of looking at the relationship that God had tried every decade and every new generation to say, I'm the God, I'm your God, and I want a relationship with you. I've saved you from slavery. I've provided water and shelter for you in the desert, and you're remembering what I did then, but here's what I'm doing now today, and it's new in your day. And I wish we could keep that drama and that tension in front of us, because try as I did, and try as we may today, it still just comes across as, hey, well, the drink menu is coming out. Just get water, whatever. No, it's so important. It's life or death for eternity. He's saying God is here among us. Let's keep that hunger and that thirst and that urgency before us as we spend our time in God's word together. Are we satisfied? Did you come here, dads? Happy Father's Day. You made it. Or did you come here satisfied? Or are you going, man, Father's Day, whew. Another year, what's next? When you look at the news or economy, it doesn't look encouraging. It doesn't look like you could be satisfied if that's what you're looking for to satisfy you. And so Jesus is saying, look, physically, relationally, economically, what are you, what are you looking in to satisfy you? You're probably thirsty. Is God's life flowing out of your innermost being and bringing satisfaction to others? That's the indicator if you're satisfied. Because some of you might be looking, oh man, I'm trying to be satisfied, and I think I am, and then I'm not, and how does that, and as I looked at this, I'm like, man, Jesus showed us the example. 
He left heaven to earth to come and bring us the satisfaction with the Father that he enjoyed because he was so satisfied being in relationship with the Father, he came to say, hey, you guys need to meet the Father. And the only way to do that is if I die in your place, rise again and give you new life. If you believe in me, you're gonna have the stream flowing through you of living water. So our Lord addresses this question with the magnificent invitation, our first point in verse 37, if anyone is thirsty, which if we're honest, we're gonna say, yeah, I'm, I'm thirsty. I know what it means to thirst. I know what it means to be thirsty. There's several times in my life I've been where I was on the golf course. I'm no stranger to some, some people in like the race world call it bonking. When everything in you is just depleted and you're like, uh, I'm on a bike but nothing seems to work and I have no water. I'm golfing and I'm just I'm dehydrated and I'm thirsty. And this invitation that, that we hear from Jesus, we need to understand where he draws it from because every time Jesus speaks, he's not speaking something new He's speaking with authority from the Old Testament, from what God originally said, to look to Jesus. So every time in the Old Testament there's a prophet saying, look to Jesus, focus on Jesus, he's coming, then Jesus shows up and goes, hey, remember what they said about me? Well, I'm here now. And that's exactly what he did. He's like, hey, remember? You guys were talking about me this whole time. Your forefathers were, but I'm here now. Stop looking at the picture. Look at the Savior. So we look at this. This quote, streams of living water will flow from deep within him, points back to Isaiah. And if you read Isaiah, the first 39 chapters talk primarily about judgment. Judah, Jerusalem, and even judgment on the whole world. And we see that it's due to wickedness and their sin. But right about chapter 40, it turns. Instead of judgment, we find the promise of salvation that dominates the remaining 26 chapters of Isaiah. And it focuses on someone called the servant. We see in chapter 52 that the servant is God, and he's described as being raised and lifted up. Chapter 52, verse 13. The same phrase in Hebrew that Isaiah uses to describe God. Chapter 6, verse 1. In chapter 53, we find out that the servant will bring salvation by hanging on a tree, suffering and dying in the place of sinners, which Jesus is about to be crucified, raised up on a cross, suffering, dying in the place of sinners. In chapter 54, we find out that the death and resurrection of the servant allows God to offer us an eternal covenant of peace between us and God, where we no longer live in fear of judgment. So a lot of you maybe are like me, and you try and read Isaiah, and you're like, dude, this is depressing. I don't do depressing dark things. This is too much. I'm, I don't understand it. And we missed it. We missed the, the 54 and 53, so I summarized that for you to see that John summarizes it even more and says, look, in chapter 55, we get to where Jesus references this verse in John chapter 7. You know God will send a servant, who is God, to save his people from judgment. Now we get to compare these two invitations. John seven thirty-seven says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come after me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then Isaiah 55, 1 says, come everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. So the Jews would have had that memorized. And in the middle of a political, cultural debate, deciding who Jesus is. Is he really God? Is he a good person? In the middle of this feast where everyone's trying to do their religious thing, Jesus is saying, look, I'm really God. I'm the servant God sent to save you from your sin. Stop looking at the 
picture and religious things. Start having a relationship with me. Believe in me. You're close, but close doesn't work with a relationship with God. Only horseshoes, right? So Jesus, the Messiah, the servant, the Son of God, invites thirsty people to come to him and drink. When we hear the invitation to come and drink, we don't get how important it is because we're not Jews and we didn't talk like this. No one says these words anymore. No one talks about ourselves in, in physical terms. No one's like, hey, if you want to be a part of my family, you got to eat me. Like Jesus, you're like, I don't know. Okay, I got to drink you. Do I like tap? Do I put a tap in you? Like a lay? Like how do I drink? How do I come to you and drink of you? Like that's a physical term. And in the Old Testament, they referred to God as a rock. Like why would we do that? That's like geology. We study rocks. We don't, that's theology. Like why would we? But that's how they referred to God in physical terms to display his spiritual relationship. And so Jesus is saying, you have a hole in you. You're, you're an empty vessel. You need to be filled with something, and that's going to be my spirit. So you need to believe in me. I'm going to save you, and I'm going to put my spirit in you. And out of the overflow, my spirit will flow through you and satisfy others, and you will be a representation of the effect of the spirit in you. So when Jesus says he'll give the thirsty water, we must understand the gravity of the situation. And even though we have so many drink options, we still miss it because we're like, why would I need to go to Jesus to get a drink? I can go to a fast food or the Mexican place, the taco place up in Paso across from the fairgrounds. They have one of those machines where you have like a thousand buttons where you can get like cotton candy, vanilla, cherry Coke. You're like, what in the world? We used to have to like do the suicide drink at Taco Bell where you'd hit every single one. Now they have a bunch of buttons that add all the flavors in there. You're like, I don't need to go to Jesus to get a drink. I got like thousands of drink options here. This is 2022, Brandon, but this is outdated, not relevant. No, this is living water. It's not talking about physical drinks. It's the spiritual need that our souls have. That when we stop and think about it, we're like, yeah, that suicide drink never really tasted or did my stomach good anyways. But I had to, you know, had to stomach it to be strong for my friends, right? I had my reputation on the line. I couldn't couldn't barf or let them know I did that in the bathroom. Shelters, we see the festival of shelters, the festival of of booths, this housing, it was this amazing party and celebration of what God has done. And as I've grown older, it's easy to go, man, when I was a kid, I memorized scripture. When I was a kid, I went to VBS. When I was a kid, but what about today? I think for here, we see this word that Jesus is saying, I'm here now to save you. Come to me now. I know you're hurting, I know you're thirsty, I know you're dying, but Jesus is saying, I was God in the desert for your forefathers, I was the God in your youth, I'm the God in your adulthood, now I'm here, I'm still chasing you down, I'm pursuing you, and I have blessings for you, just come and drink. I know you're thirsty, I know you're hurting. And the most amazing miracles that that God did in the wilderness, Moses struck a rock and water flowed out of the rock, and Moses is like, yeah, what's up now? Stop whining which you know, dads, right, Father's Day, mothers, you're like, yes, God knows what it's like to be a parent, and have Moses knows, they're all whining, complaining, you brought us out here to die, and he's like, boom, drink, be quiet for a minute, the next time, they're like, we're thirsty, and God's like, just speak to the rock this time, and then he strikes it again, and he disobeyed God, but water still flowed, because God's good, even when we mess up, God is still there, there's consequences for actions, but God is still there, and he provides, in a desert, water means life, in a desert, if you're thirsty, as we know now as adults, you're already dying. When you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. You're, behind, you're having to catch up. 
So Jesus is inviting the dying to come to him for life. Are you dying? Yes, we all are. We're, we're that much closer today than we were yesterday. We're, our bodies are failing physically, spiritually. We need nourishment. We need a savior. What can we do about it? Jesus invites the dying to come to him. The one in the desert with his strength fading, struggling to go on, hears the promise of water and he knows that's his only hope. May we each have a thirst for the things of God and for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Are you thirsty? And the next line we see our Lord tell us how to be refreshed. Come to me and drink. In verse 37, he says, in effect, if you're dying and you all are, then come to me. Not only will I give you life, but I'll put my spirit inside of you so that you will always have life. My spirit inside of you will become a river of unending life. The spirit will be a river of water inside of you that no desert or drought can ever cause to run dry. Water to the thirsty, life to the dying. Jesus is all of this and more. And he's promising to provide you. As you think about like how you need water, but we don't understand all the effects that it's going to help us and heal us and strengthen us. And it's similar to God. We come to him for a new life, but we don't know how he's going to use our life for, to accomplish his purpose. And what other lives we're going to allow his spirit to flow through us to love and encourage and strengthen. And I know how some people may be thinking, wow, this sounds too good to be true. I don't know if I could accept this free gift. Don't I need to pay for it or earn it? I, I don't deserve it. And I've got no way to get it. And God says in Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you, without silver, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. This is an amazing truth. Jesus doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your good works. He knows you can't do good, and he knows you don't have enough to pay for it. He wants you. And he's inviting you to come empty-handed. And when you do, he won't leave you empty-handed ever again. He's promised to supply you and to satisfy you. And we have nothing, but for reasons only God knows, he still wants you. And he's inviting you to come. Come to him. Come empty-handed. Come with no money, no clothes, nothing. Thirsty, empty, broken, dying. And let him fill you up. And remember the warning Jesus gave that some would look for him but not find him in John 7. They're really bad at hide and seek, apparently. He's like, watch out for those guys. They're really not going to be able to figure this game out. No, he's seriously saying these people are going to come and they're going to act like they're looking for me. They're going to talk like they go to church and they're going to talk like they are of me, but they're not. They're, they're just trying to control you and manipulate. And Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. He's saying, don't, don't be fooled. You can find him if you look for him. And if you don't find life before death, you can't find life after death. If you don't drink the water before you die, you won't have a chance afterward. Today is the day if you've been waiting and you're like, I don't know, I get it. And even talking with one of the girls that stayed back and was like, man, I really wish after you died that people could have another chance to, to trust in Jesus. I'm like, I know, my heart breaks too. I wish everyone, and in fact, God says in his word, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants the church to go and tell everyone about his love so that no one will die without having a chance to believe and drink the water and be saved. But if someone's drowning and you keep throwing them a life preserver and they keep pushing it away and then you jump in to save them and then they drown the, the, the lifeguard, what more can you do? 
And she's like, oh, that's right. I mean, I guess if they choose that, then it's, it's their choice. And oftentimes we get annoyed at restaurants, at least I do, when, when the waiter doesn't bring me a refill of my Arnold Palmer fast enough. I mean, I drink those things so fast. It's like I'm paying $5 an Arnold Palmer now. They were like $2 six months ago. I want to get my money's worth, plus this burger has like a pound of salt in it. I'm thirsty, literally. I'm trying to drink here. Let's go. And I'm reminded, it's, those are the things in our lives we look for the world. It's like, I, I just had this experience. I just had this hurt. Now I'm looking for this to satisfy me. Let's get the refill. Let's go. But it never does. You're always left thirsting, looking for more, wanting more. And our Lord here is, is not the waiter waiting to just give us a little bit. He's saying, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink, and I'll satisfy you. And the water I give to satisfy you, it's gonna satisfy you, and it will satisfy everyone else. Which for me, I love, like, everyone's like, wow, you just jumped on that one wheel. I'm like, yeah, I grew up surfing, biking, skating, and, if, and like, now I'm trying to get into hunting a little bit, but that all takes so much time. I'm like, wow, no wonder I didn't have a, a lot of time for jobs. I was always like exploring God's creation and doing stuff. And it's like, when you think about it, what brings me satisfaction is not necessarily gonna bring you satisfaction. But Jesus is the only one and the only savior that brings all of us satisfaction. And the ones that stepped up and served, it was crazy how many people were like, wow, last year and this year, I wanna, I wanna give my gifts. I wanna build the set for you. I wanna come and help serve. I wanna be in the kitchen and cook, I wanna bring the snack, I wanna do this, and I wanna help these kids know Jesus, and that's what we're talking about, is when you come to Jesus, you don't know how he's gonna satisfy you, and you certainly don't know how he's gonna use you to satisfy other people through the gospel. So how are we to drink this water? How are we today to drink the water? Although it's free and it's open to everybody, C.S. Lewis in this children's novel, uh, The Silver Chair, puts his finger on it in the most clearest terms by sharing this narrative of Jill who sees a lion, and she's scared out of her mind, and she bolts away from the lion, and Jill runs through the forest to get away from the lion as fast as she can and runs as far as she can before her body finally wears out, and she's just given over to her thirst. And she hears this spring bubbling in, in the distance, and so she heads there to get a drink, and as she approaches it, she's almost ready to go to the brook when in the grass before her is the same lion she ran away from. And the lion says, hey, aren't you thirsty? And she stands there kind of frozen in shock. Yes, I'm dying of thirst. And the lion's like, then get a drink of water. And Jill says, may I, could I, would you mind going away for a little while while I do? And the lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. Jill gazed at his motionless bulk. She realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move. And aside, from, aside for her convenience, the delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her frantic while she stood there. And she said, will you promise then not to do anything to me if I come closer? And the lion says, I make no promise. And Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she'd come a step closer. And she says, well, do you eat girls? And the lion says, yeah, I've swallowed girls, boys, women, men, kings, and emperors cities and realms. And he said it not as if he was boasting or if he was sorry, but just a fact. This is who I am. I'm a fierce, roaring lion. And Jill said, I don't come, I dare not come and drink. 
And then the lion says, well, then you're going to die of thirst. And she's like, oh, dear. So she comes a step closer, and she says, I suppose I must go and look for another stream. And the lion says, there is no other stream. This is the only stream. And it never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion, and no one who had seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do, but she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping water up in her hand, and it was the coldest, most refreshing water she ever tasted. You see what C.S. Lewis was capturing and painting for us, this picture? When you come to the water, you come on the Lord's terms. He's a fierce lion who came to judge sinners, but because Jesus hung on the cross for us, we don't have to face that judgment and that wrath. And while we yield ourselves by faith in order to get the water, some of us need to realize that we are thirsty. And we're refusing to admit that we're thirsty. We're like, no, no I'm good. I'll just play another round of golf. I'm fine. I'm just, this is weird. I haven't felt this before, but I think I'll be okay. And some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, I, I never stop when I'm on the road for food or drink. I just get to my destination. Others of you are like, hey, we need to plan this out. Bathroom breaks, food, snack. And we need to step out in faith and yield to the lion of the tribe of Judah. Receive the water of eternal life. So, has everyone had to learn that everyone is thirsty and dying? And Jesus comes and shares that the only hope and the only source of water to save us is him. And he invites us to come to him. He's saying, I'm the only source, and I know I'm a fierce, roaring lion, but come. So how do we come to Jesus? By obeying what he tells us to do. God's word proves itself to those who will sincerely do it. As we do what God's word says, we, we test it and prove God is good, and we go, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to believe, be saved, and then do what God's word says. The problem is we can't do it on our own, so that's when we know we're not saved. If we're trying to do what God's word says, and it's, we're doing it on our own strength. Instead of simply surrendering to God and say, okay, fill me with your word, fill me with your spirit, and then your spirit guide me and lead me. And that's our last point. Whoever believes will be satisfied. What I was saying earlier, when we believe, then we'll be satisfied, not necessarily monetarily or relationally right away, but when we look to Jesus and go, you know what, whatever my bank account looks like, I'm trusting you, and I'm being responsible with what you've given me. And Isaiah 55, 7 says, let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. You won't come to Jesus if you don't believe him. If you believe he's God, if you believe he's the only source of life, if you believe he will give you his spirit, if you believe he loves you, if you believe he's gracious and merciful, if you believe he's the fulfillment of all God's promises, then you'll come to him. If not, then you won't. And if you're wrestling with whether to believe or not, you're not alone. The last part of this chapter the religious leaders are like, yeah, he's probably not God. I mean, he's from Galilee, and there's no way a prophet can come from Galilee. And others are like, dude, that guy walked up, and he put mud on some guy's eye. He was blind before, and now he can see. Have you heard the guy talk? He just shut down the biggest worship service ever and told us to worship him and come to him for water. That guy talks like no one else. I think we should probably follow him. And so there was a disagreement. There wasn't a unifying idea, and they kept trying to arrest him and kill him, but it wasn't Jesus' time to die yet. But the religious leaders were like, yeah, that guy's kind of weird. Let's just kill him. 
And so in our day where we're okay with the culture saying Jesus was a good teacher, he never gave us that option. Jesus was either God or he was a lunatic. He's either Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. He can't just be good because he claimed to be God and he claimed that he was God in the flesh to save us from our sin. And if you've already decided you don't want to believe in him, then you'll find any excuse not to. We see it here. They thought because of his hometown, it ruled him out as Messiah. They're like, ah, that guy's from Tascadero. There's no way that guy could do anything substantial. There's no way. They were wrong about where he was born, though. He was born in Bethlehem, not Galilee. But if you want to find the truth, as you look in God's word, every single thing you read points to Jesus. Every single thing that this word has to tell us is that we've all disobeyed God. We've all sinned, but he knew that, and he loved us anyway, and he sent his son to redeem us, to rescue us, and as we believe upon Jesus, then he satisfies us, and then he puts his spirit in us so that it can flow out of us, and we can serve one another as he was the servant and gave us that example. Jesus claims to be the source of the blessing anticipated at this feast. He's like, you guys are waiting for the blessing. I'm here. I'm right here. It's the last day. I'm going to leave and you're going to kill me, but this is the last chance. And you're not going to have me again. And I'm going to rise again. I'm going to do a bunch of sightings and I'm going to leave. And then you're going to have the spirit in the people who are my church. And they're going to go and then you're going to try and kill them too. So that was the beginning of the church. And here we are today continuing to say Jesus is here. And he wants his spirit in us. He's not content having me just tell you about him. This is the first part. The great part is Monday through Saturday when God's in you, helping your marriage, helping your relationships, helping the, the new client, helping your kids when they're like, hey, a VBS, they said this, do you know? And you're like, I have no clue. Where's Brandon's number? Go straight to God. You don't have to call me. I mean, you can, I'll, I'll help you, but the best I can, I can barely keep this straight. But, um, we have God's word, and we have a direct access to God. Because Jesus said, hey, I'm here, I'm giving you my spirit. This is the good news. In the Old Testament, the writers were telling you about Jesus. Jesus shows up and said, it's here now. We see that our unfulfilled desires can become fully satisfied with the indwelling spirit of Christ in our lives. Not only does such satisfaction come to us in Christ, but it overflows to others. Christ doesn't say a stream or a lake or a pond, he says rivers, he says streams. That's like a living stream coming out of you, flowing through you to others. When a person comes to Christ and, and has his thirst quenched, Christ would have him be satisfied and have that satisfaction flow into others. In the 19th century, this guy, Billy Bray, was a dynamic evangelist, and he was a miner, which we know miners still is a dangerous profession. So he'd go down to these mines each day and he'd say this prayer. Lord, if any of us must be killed or die today, let it be me, because none of these guys are happy, and I am. And if I die today, I'm going to heaven, and these guys will be separated from you in hell forever. That was his prayer every day. Hey, God, I hope that if anyone is killed or die today, it's me, because I know I'm going to you and I'm happy. These, these guys are so unhappy. They're not satisfied. And often he'd go down to the mine, and as he got down there, he'd find the guys on their knees praying. The irony is, is that we never experience true satisfaction of the depths we were meant to until we live our lives giving satisfaction to others. And the only way we truly do that is if the Holy Spirit's in us, empowering us. Because 
we could be honest and we could help people across the street or help a, a lady at Home Depot trying to put like sheets of plywood in her Honda Civic and it's like, hey, let me, got my truck, just give me the address. I'll, I should probably thought through that before you showed up and got sheets of plywood. But anyways, I'm here to help, right? Like we could do nice things like that. But really, like really in our heart, is that all we were made for? Or is that just the beginning? And as Christians, there's a whole county, nation, world that needs Jesus. And that's the main thing. There was a man, the world did not think him mad. Sorry, there was a man and the world did think him mad. The more he gave away, the more he had. John Bunyan said that, referring to the reality of when we're satisfied with Christ, the things we realize we can't hold on to, we start giving them away. Our time, our talents, our treasures. They might make us feel comfortable. They might give us a sense of security, but in reality, it's not eternal. It's not what matters. And the more we focus on Jesus and are satisfied by Jesus, then God can start using the things he's given us, the things he's put in us to bring satisfaction to others. So the question today remains, are you satisfied? And for dads, the leaders of your house, if you're satisfied, then guess what? You're going to be leading your family to be satisfied in Christ. But if you're not satisfied, then your kids know that. You can't fool kids, and they're going, okay, how is dad trying to be satisfied? Because I better look for the same thing to satisfy me. But if we're satisfied in Christ, then they're going to go, sweet, that's where my satisfaction comes from. And when he's not, or when mom's not, this is how repentance, this is how forgiveness will flow. And this is how true peace comes into your home. Our Lord is a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and we must come to him on his terms. We must be satisfied in Christ the way that he gives us satisfaction, by forgiving us of our sins and turning to him. And if our satisfaction flows out of us and satisfies others, then it's from Jesus. It's not self-satisfaction, self-realization. It's the Savior's gift of salvation that satisfies us and will satisfy others. So are you satisfied? Have you drunk long and deep of that water so that out of your innermost being can flow rivers of living water? Is your life marked by the beatitudes of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? I know I have work to do, and I'm like, okay, Lord, fill me with your satisfaction so I could be more satisfied and thus spread that gospel satisfaction to others. Think about it. What would our relationships be like if we truly were satisfied in Christ and looked for opportunities to share that hope we have? What kind of peace would our, our marriages have if, if we, we were satisfied with Christ and able to serve selflessly? How would our families be at peace when we're filled up with Jesus and allowing that truth and that love and that peace to flow out and not be so concerned with building our own kingdoms or having our own agendas to be priority but okay what do you need and how can I serve you and, and I'm satisfied in Jesus and here's how you can be satisfied in Jesus too just come and drink it's as easy as drinking water and as we, as we close here verse 39 Jesus said that he said these things about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. For those who believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit's in you, and so now we can 
we can take this time and pray and go, okay, Holy Spirit, open my eyes and, and convict me of maybe areas I've gone wrong. My job is to, to share the truth of God's word with you, and now you get the opportunity to meet with the Father and allow the Holy Spirit fill you. And maybe for some of you, for the first time, you're going, man, I, I have sinned, and I'm not satisfied. And every time I try and gain satisfaction, it's, it, it leaves me empty, and I'm waiting for a waiter or the world to come fill my cup up again with something else. But it always leaves me wanting more. And Jesus wants to satisfy you, and you just need to come to him and receive it and believe upon him and you're saved. And I know in churches sometimes you stand up and shit. Here's the thing is God already saved you if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. You're saved, period. That's a beautiful verse in Romans 10. There's a period there. I'm not huge on grammar, but I love that period because that means there's nothing else to do. That sentence doesn't keep going on of then you have to do this or say this or be. No, you're saved. And so I encourage you, if that's you today and God saved you and you believe in him, maybe tell a family or a friend that you came with and then take the next step and let us know. We'd love to walk with you on this journey. But for those who are believers now, we get to take communion and reflect on the promise that we just shared about, that God's made us new. And he satisfied us by putting his spirit in you. And if we are satisfied, then in what area maybe is God calling you to share that satisfaction, share the gospel? of what God's doing in you. So we got communion elements. If you need them, you could just throw up a hand. Got some ushers and people sharing those. And I'll give you a minute to pray and then I'll come back up and, and close this down.